Chapter 4 Tara flexed her fingers and toes and wiggled them. Other than the surgical incisions, already faint and fading quickly, she sensed no difference at all between her hands and feet as they had been, and as they were now. It will take some time for you to become used to the implants. Dr. Alexei Broman looked at Tara's hands and feet for a moment before turning back to his computer, and Tara saw the distaste that flitted across his face. Do I frighten you? She resisted the urge to ask him that. Asking would unnerve him, and anyway, it didn't matter. Formerly one of the top-rated surgeons at Horizons Medical Center on Seneca, Broman was the pioneer of a great many surgeries he had done frequently for the public, and a great many more that he now only did for the elite soldiers of the Alliance military. And Tara, whom he clearly disliked every time he saw her. She tolerated that for two reasons. First, Broman was a genius, and a surgeon without match. There was no one else who had the instincts and the steadiness to make the upgrades she wanted. Second, his natural desire to see how far his genius could go needed a subject like Tara. While the politicians, physicians, and psychologists of the human diaspora debated where the line lay between human enhancement, which was permissible, even encouraged, and cyborg, which, everyone agreed, was illegal, immoral, and dangerous, there were always those who were willing to push the limits. How much enhancement could a body bear? Which changes could be absorbed and adapted to, and which could not? While the criminal syndicates on Osiris in New Arizona forged their own answers to the question of what was, philosophically speaking, still human, or ignored the debate entirely, Alliance Intelligence had Terra, whether most of them knew it or not. She wondered if Broman knew who she was. He had never said her name. She wondered if he'd gone out of his way not to learn it. It might be the sort of thing one tried not to know. Tara had never been on any Alliance payroll, after all. She had never run any official mission that was on the books. If there were agents who knew about her, it was because they divined her presence as a flicker in the data, the sudden absence of the targets in the swirl and eddy of the forces that never stopped troubling the Alliance. Which, Tara reasoned, made her the immovable object. She's going to have to come up with a better analogy perhaps during the next interminable surgery. Right now, she had experiments to carry out. She looked around herself for something that was the correct combination of durable and superfluous, and settled on the metal tray that held the surgical implements. Her hand shot out, fingers snapping around the metal at the last second. The implements clattered to the floor, and she dimly heard the faint sound of Broman's surprise. And fear. He was afraid of her. Of course he was. Tara felt the familiar wave of contempt run through her. Of everyone she knew, only her father had never feared her. Or the man she called her father, anyway. He had rescued her from the slums of Osiris, and he had let her forge her own path. This was the one she had chosen. Tara ignored the surgeon standing frozen in the corner of the room, and slowly crumpled the metal into a ball. She could feel the weak points in the metal, hold her grip with some fingers, and adjust the pressure with others, to make the material do whatever she wished. Several years ago now, she had been given upgrades that heightened her speed and precision, as well as her muscle strength. Until now, however, she had remained limited by the frailties of her underlying structure. You're human, Broman had told her when she told him the problem. That's what it means to be human. Tara hadn't bothered answering. He knew what she wanted, and that was to go beyond. Always faster, stronger, surer. Moreover, he wanted it too. He wanted to make something greater than a human even if he was afraid to be that thing himself. 
His loss, her gain. Especially now, when he'd made a framework for her hands that was one part scaffolding, protecting the bones and ligaments, and one part chemical, shoring up the complex, delicate structure. Standard implants had worked for the longer bones, but the hands and feet especially were too dangerous to operate on. Or so everyone said. Broman had done it. Give the chemicals time to work, he advised. And with your permission, I will inform your father of the results. So he did know who she was. There was one question answered. Don't bother. Tara didn't trouble herself to hide the contempt in her tone. She swung herself off the table and put her coat around her shoulders, noting with enhanced eyes the way his pulse sped at his throat when she stood, and with enhanced smell, the way his sweat had taken on the acrid scent of a prey animal under stress. I'll tell him myself. Indeed. Good day, Miss Soros. Tara paused in the doorway. My name's not Soros. He looked up and debated whether to ask or not. He knew it might be a trap, and she watched him come to the conclusion that, as with many things regarding Terra, he might not want to know the answer. But he was curious. That was the one thing that defined him. It was why he still operated on her, and why he was skilled enough for her to permit him to do so. What is your surname? I don't have one. Terra smiled at the look on his face. You really don't need to worry about finding out too much about me, Doctor. You'll find I don't exist. No one saw me come here today, and you wouldn't be able to convince anyone that you just had a surgery. His eyes went to the cameras in the corner. It was an involuntary reaction, like the bobbing of his throat. Yes, Tara suggested in amusement. Try the cameras. See how that works for you. And she was gone, neither a smile or a frown on her features. For just a moment, she had the thought that it was lonely to have only one other person in the world whose closeness she tolerated. The thought was gone a moment later. Tara had made herself exactly who she wanted to be. She would rather that than the hollow companionship of those who neither understood nor appreciated what she was. She was a weapon. She turned one shoulder forward to slip through the crowd easily, unnoticed amongst the throng of people. They wouldn't recognize it on first sight. They would never know her name and most of them would never even know the names of those she had killed. But they would be safer. They would all be safer. An unusually cold wind whistled down the street, and the people around her hunched their shoulders. Tara strode on, her brow furrowed. She hadn't even noticed the cold. No, her mind was focused on a rather more confusing question. She hadn't been given any jobs lately. Why not? Was her father gathering intel for a larger target than usual? And if so, who? The photos from the street in Io District flashed across the screen, and the warlord smiled. The smile didn't last long. It was satisfying to see Jacinta Nicolau's body lying twisted and broken on the ground. She'd been a thorn in his side for months now, first a cipher with no name, and then, even once he identified her, a surprisingly difficult woman to find. She walks into my mines every day. She goes through my checkpoints. Why the hell can't you find her? We will. And they had, but now there would be another to take her place. There was always another. Every time the resistance flared, he put them down. When they were especially intractable, he called in help, as he had this time. It was something he had once sworn he would never do. It was a risk every time. Having reports doctored, sending in soldiers who might, at any point, figure out the truth. Every time he did it, he laid a trail. Part of him knew it was only luck that they hadn't picked up on it yet. His heart had stopped for a moment when he watched the video, 
and so the leader of the dragon team stopped to speak with Jacinta. Dragons weren't supposed to speak. They were supposed to kill. They were a weapon who liked to dress their purpose up in fancy morals, but a weapon had one purpose. Death. This particular dragon commander could be a problem. The warlord reround the video and stared at the still shot of the man hunched, staring down the barrel of his weapon as he called out to the resistance leader. Talon Rift's determination to take him down was well known in certain circles. The warlord took a perverse pleasure in it every time Team Nime came to do his bidding on Emer. If they only knew. He swallowed convulsively. If they only knew. There would be no hiding once they found out they had been deceived. After a moment, the warlord's shoulders relaxed fractionally and he forced a smile onto his lips. They were already trying to kill him. They'd been trying for forty years. He'd held them off. The Navy. Intelligence. The Resistance. The Dragons. Everyone was always trying to kill him. But so far, he had won every time. He had put measures in place to make sure he would win every time. Let them come. He would see them dead in the dirt like Jacinta. He would kill every resistance leader that popped up until there was no one willing to step forward and take their place. He ignored the small voice in his head that suggested that day might never come. It should have been her lying there in the street. Samara knew that. They hadn't buried Jacinta. It was what she would have wanted. Her body lay in the street for everyone to see. The warlord taunted them like this every time he had the dragon sent in to put the resistance down. He left the signs of his victory strewn in the street. Buildings not repaired. Cobblestones out of place. Bodies lying in pools of their own blood. It was a cruel gesture, but also a test. Every camera on those streets was turned toward those bodies. If anyone were to try to pay their respects or take it for burial, there would be soldiers on them in seconds. They would be named as a resistance fighter and executed as one. So the group left Jacinta's body where it was, and comforted each other in the dark of night when their shifts in the mines were over. They prayed for her silently, because words were dangerous. Samara clenched her nails into her palms each night and willed herself not to cry, while her throat ached and her whole body tensed. Jacinta had sent her away, into the darkness. The dragons came for the leaders, and Jacinta had sacrificed herself accordingly. Zila, too. Or perhaps Zila had made the choice herself. No one knew. Neither of them were around to ask anymore. What do we do now? Arlen asked dully, two days after the massacre. When he followed Jacinta, he had been brash, sometimes overconfident, and almost always smiling. Now he looked twice his age, and wholly defeated. We keep going, Samara said. They all looked at her, and she felt the prickling sensation of the ground disappearing under her feet. She had never had so many people looking at her before. When she spoke up in meetings before this, she was aware only of Jacinta's steady regard. She spoke up with any idea she had then because she knew Jacinta would listen to everything and pick only the best. It was safe to suggest the wrong thing, because Jacinta would keep them safe. Only now Jacinta wasn't here, and everyone was looking at Samara like she knew what to do, and she knew the truth was very different. She should be the one lying in the street, and Jacinta should still be here. Jacinta would have wanted us to keep going, Samara said, a bit desperately. And then, speaking from some part of her that was pure instinct, she knew we could keep going. That's why she sacrificed herself. It wasn't just to save us. It was because she knew if they killed her and went away, they wouldn't have killed the resistance. It would live on with us. They were staring at her like she knew what she was talking about and all she wanted to do was throw up. Arlen, Samara turned to look at him. You're the one she would have wanted to pick up where she left off. Arlen had been staring at the floor. Now he looked up at her, hollow-eyed. 
It's no use. There was a silence. Don't you see? Arlen asked her. He looked around at all of them. Every time we get too big, they crush us. We were never going to make it to the palace with that plan. She knew it. Yes, we were, Samara insisted. We were going to die, Arlen said flatly, just like she did. Bodies in the street, no one to bury in us. They'd have killed our families when they saw who we were. So what if we died, Samara shot back. Like the mines aren't going to kill us? Every day we walk in there, it's a gamble. Every day we're alive, it's a gamble. The warlord could decide to level Io District tomorrow to make a point if he wanted. Arlen looked around at the other, as if to say that this had been his point all along. So what the hell are you afraid of? Samara hissed at him. We're all dead. That's the hand we drew when we got born here. He's going to kill each and every one of us one way or another. So isn't that why we're all here, right now in this room? Because we want to die fighting rather than on our knees, rather than coughing our lungs up? Didn't we sign up because there was nothing left to lose? Now she was the one sweeping her gaze around the room. Some people looked away from her, frightened. But others met her gaze and nodded. Stefan's black eyes were resolute. Hannah's hand was on the hilt of the knife she wore, defiantly, against regulations. It was a start. We're going to die, Samara told them. Maybe this op, maybe the next one. But we also know that the resistance itself has never died, and that every inch we take, people see it. The things we do, once we've done them, everyone knows it's possible. Take the walls down, and people will see it. Take out a guard tower, broadcast our message, and people will hear it. Arlen was looking back at the floor. This isn't where it ends. Samara stared him down until he looked up at her. Jacinta would have chosen you. I can't. You can. You step up and be the leader she knew you were. Samara felt her throat aching with unshed tears. They needed him. How could he even think of walking away right now? For a moment, she thought he would refuse. It was as if this attack had knocked all of the fight out of him in one blow. But under her cold-eyed stare, he gave a jerky nod. Fine. I'll look through her things. We'll find another time for that op. Soon, Samara wanted to say. Before they find the vulnerability in the walls and they fix it. Soon. But he knew that already. So she just nodded and left, finding a quiet corner of the caves where she could rest until her shift started again. She dug her nails into her palms until she was sure she was bleeding. It wasn't fair. They'd finally had a chance at the warlord. They'd only needed one more day. But of course it was then that the dragons had come. A tear made its way down her cheek. She hated herself for crying, but she couldn't hold it back. It wasn't fair. Lying in the darkness, she made a promise to herself. Before she died, she would kill at least one dragon. It would take everything she had, but she would do it, because she had meant what she said to the rest of the Resistance fighters. Everything the Resistance achieved, the people of Emir would see and know it was possible. If she killed a dragon, every child who had grown up knowing that the Alliance was in the Warlord's pocket and that no one was coming to save them, would also know that it was possible to fight back. She just had to do it once, and the story would live forever. But she had to be good enough, and she wasn't sure she was. It should have been her who died. I know you thought we could keep going, Jacinta, but I don't know what to do. She wiped the tears from her cheeks with the back of her hand. She didn't have to know. Arlen was in charge. All she had to do was get as good as she could be and wait for her chance to build a legend. In his cabin on the Ariane, 
Talon lay back on his bed with a groan and listened to the ship creak. They were en route to Seneca now, Nix in the cockpit, Tercy finally asleep in Sphinx's arms. Talon shook his head slightly to himself. They thought he didn't know. They thought they were so subtle. He didn't even mind, not really. He never sent them into battle together anymore, but otherwise he didn't mind. This sort of life gave you a fellowship that would never fail you. But at the end of the day, there was no home to go back to, and no one outside their ranks would ever understand what they had seen in their day, and what they had done. No, he didn't blame anyone for taking comfort in the arms of another dragon. Dwelling on it reminded him that there was no one for him to go home to, though, and that wasn't a comforting thought. When all this was over, when he was too old to be a soldier, where would he go? What would he do? He opened his eyes and stared at the ceiling. He knew the answer. He wasn't going to live that long. He'd known since he first made his vow about the warlord that it was likely to kill him. For years, he hadn't particularly minded that. Most people lived their whole lives without finding the purpose he had, let alone the ability to make that purpose a reality. Talon would never have to wonder if he had wasted his life. So why, now, did it feel like there was something missing? He was getting old. Talon turned on his side and gave a sigh. He was getting old, and he should really try to get grumpy like Aegis, instead of mooning around about having something more than a soldier's life. He only did one thing well, and that was this. It would be enough. When they took down the warlord, he told himself, it would be enough. So, this week we got to meet Tara, who I absolutely adore. Tara takes a while to warm up to people, and a few readers have mentioned that it goes the other way as well. It takes a while for them to warm up to her, too. Which is okay. I just hope that over the course of this book, you'll come to adore her just as much as I do. And one of the things I wanted to explore with Tara was that people tend to think of certain enhancements, cybernetic, that sort of thing, as acceptable and some as unacceptable. And so I wanted to look at what we consider over the line what we consider to be okay. You know, it's easy to say that we don't want to change what it means to be human, but from medications to artificial joints, pacemakers, all sorts of stuff, there are tons of ways that we even now enhance and heal our bodies that go beyond what were previously limits. In stories that look at genetic engineering and cybernetic enhancement, I often see characters involved who have a lot of reservations and fears about whether they're losing their humanity. And I wanted actually to look at this from a slightly different side. I wanted Tara to be entirely unconcerned with that. She has plenty of doubts and frailties as a character. She's not some superhero type person, or but this is not one of them. And one line stands out to me in particular, which is she had made herself exactly what she wanted to be. Now, almost all of my characters inspire me in some way. And with Tara, what inspires me is that she's not really very up in her head a lot of the time. So she inspires me to get out of my head too and go after what I want. And I can't wait for you to see how her character grows and adapts as we go onwards. Now, we also get to meet the warlord in this chapter and oh boy, is he a piece of work. So watching him watch Talon was actually one of my favorite parts of this to write. And I don't want to say much more about this the same way that I did about Tara or expand on it as I do with other characters because I don't want to inadvertently drop any hints as to how he managed to hijack intelligence. I just want you to wait there and see how it unfolds. So to move on to Samara, we see her struggling against her natural inclination to leadership. 
and while she has a talent for it, she also feels this very understandable worry because whoever's in charge of the resistance cell is basically in charge of how and when people die. So Jacinta has not only been a mother figure to her, she's taken a lot of the guesswork out of this for people by being the genius with the plan. Samara doesn't want to believe that Jacinta would do something wrong, so she's trying to divine what Jacinta would have wanted. And she's completely feeling to see that by rising to the challenge, she's really the one who should take Jacinta's place, not Arlen. He doesn't want it. He doesn't have the belief for it. And that will play out in some very surprising ways in this book and the next. And lastly, we see Talon thinking about his own life and his own crew. Now, I think that no matter what path in life we walk down, we have moments where we wonder if we should have chosen differently. And with Talon, that's naturally pretty heightened by the fact that this path is likely to end very decisively and probably going to happen soon. He's just made the choice to stop waiting for the analysts to give him the green light, and he's going to attack the warlord on his own terms, which means he's coming to the end of that path. And he's very honest with himself that this is a path that is very likely to end in death for him. But I wanted people to get a hint of the fact that while Talon thinks he's worried about what he'd be giving up if he died, understandably, he's also a little bit worried about what's going to happen if he doesn't die because he doesn't know how to be anything but a soldier and he hasn't really thought about life after this mission. And so that's just an interesting thing to play with here because he really is not very aware of that yet. Any case, next time Talon's crew makes a stop off before getting to Seneca and we meet another one of my favorite characters. It's probably clear to you by now that most of them are my favorite character in one way or another, but still. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>